Hi and welcome to the All Plane Podcast, where I talk with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, a quick reminder that all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, are available on the All Plane website. That's allplane.tv. A L P L A N E dot TV. And now to today's show. For this episode, we are going to Latin America to speak with Felipe Varón, founder of the advanced air mobility startup of the same name, Varón. Varón aims to create an advanced air mobility ecosystem across Latin America, starting with its home country of Colombia. And why Latin America? Well, there are a few places in the world that hold as much promise for advanced air mobility as Latin America does. Crowded, congested and sometimes dangerous cities, a general lack of land transport infrastructure and often a very complicated terrain like in Colombia with lots of mountains and wide rivers and well, we should mention as well uh, some significant tourism potential which is one of the top markets that Varón is looking into. So all of this makes of Latin America a sort of an ideal region for the launch of eVTOLs. And that's where Varón comes into play. Felipe has several decades of experience in aviation. He was already involved with drone research as early as the late 90s, which makes him sort of a pioneer in this field. And he's got the chance to study in detail the opportunities and obstacles that eVTOLs face in the Latin American region. So Varón aims to build the eVTOL value chain from the ground up, including the vertiports. In fact, Varón defines itself as an infrastructure company and all the way up to operating fleets of aircraft. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and let me welcome Felipe to the podcast. Hello, Felipe. How are you? Hey, Mikkel, how are you? Nice to be here with you. Very well, and good to speak with you again. We had the chance to speak not long ago, and I had the chance to learn about your very interesting project in the field of advanced air mobility. So I thought it, it was a great idea to have you here on the podcast so that you can share with the audience a few details. Before we get into the actual technical stuff, Tell us a bit more about yourself and, and your experience and your, your background. I think you've been working in, in aviation already for, for quite a few years. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, yes, I've been working on the defense sector with military technology and unmanned systems for uh, about 18 years. Um, in, in the air domain, I've been working with unmanned aerial systems, uh, both tactical and strategic during all those years. But before that, I did uh, start back in 1998 or 1999 with the idea of developing a new form of aircraft uh, as an electrical engineering student. And, and what was developed then was uh, this rigid platform that had four arms and uh, had four motors on, on the ends of these arms and fixed propellers and uh, an electronic brain to... to uh, manage the flight and actually pilot the this this platform in the air so so that this might find uh, uh, you know sound familiar uh those were eventually uh, about a decade later or so uh they were popularized as drones and and of course now they are a very mature uh industry today and what? and uh since then uh, it's been about five or six years that we've been uh, working on our uh, startup in Varon, uh where we're working on the uh same idea, but, you know, for people to transport people because the enabling technologies are there to, uh, you know, make this happen for our uh, transportation services and transportation needs in our cities and our regions and so on. You uh, already came up with the idea of what is now the unmanned air mobility in the late 90s. So that's already yeah. uh, very pioneering. Um, yeah. You're based in Latin America, right? You're originally from Colombia, am I Correct. right? Correct. I'm originally from Colombia. That's right, yes. Although Baron is, is based, is, is incorporated in the United States. So let's say your field of action is not Colombia alone, but you are thinking about air mobility on a, on a regional basis for, for the correct. whole of Latin America, right? That is correct, yes. Basically, you were working on those projects, and and then since 2016, you've been working on on this project that that you're leading now, Baron. And you define yourself as an infrastructure company. Can you tell us a bit more about this, about your vision? Because from what I understand, 
basically you are you are not unlike other companies in this space you are not developing a, a new aircraft but you are basically looking more at the infrastructure and ecosystem side of things yeah so so let me explain yes why we yeah. came up with the uh, definition of us and baron being a disruptive uh, mobility infrastructure company and it has to do with the problem you see whenever we and and people come in and look at advanced air mobility uh, we tend to think at first that this is about getting there faster. It's about flying over traffic, uh, sort of like circumventing the problem of traffic. And of course, for a premium, an added uh, uh, piece of money, we can get there faster. We can get there uh, much, much quicker than going through traffic. That's what we think at first, usually. But we've been on this for, for many years, and we've come to understand that that is not the problem that we're trying to solve. After many years of going over this, we've come to understand that traffic is just one symptom among many other symptoms of, of one underlying problem. Uh, and that underlying problem is the lack of proper mobility infrastructure. So mobility infrastructure, it, it does not have to do with uh, infrastructure in aviation. Infrastructure in aviation refers to airports and heliports. And, and, and systems and so on. But we're talking about mobility infrastructure. So let, let me explain. Mobility infrastructure, uh, you know, the traditional forms like train systems and, and metro systems and cable cars and road systems, that, that's, those are the traditional forms of mobility infrastructure. They're, they're all physical. You have to build railroads. You have to build the tracks. You have to dig tunnels. You have to throw asphalt, etc. What, what we've realized is that in Latin America and in the developing world, especially, um, there's a, a systematic incapability of governments to provide and maintain the proper mobility infrastructures to allow cities to grow and to allow uh, you know, for proper socioeconomic development. There's many reasons why our governments are systematically incapable. It has to do with uh, uh, lack of planning, with inherited problems, with corruption, lack of uh, budgets, etc. But the reality and the end result is that there are many, many very close and nearby regions, geographically close regions in Latin America, that are utterly disconnected. And that's why you see also, as a result, cities in Latin America being very, very small, but having some of the worst congestion problems in the planet. For instance, Bogota, the capital of Colombia, has been ranked number one for two consecutive years already as having the worst congestion problems and traffic in the world. Wow, I didn't and, know and that. These cities, <laughs> yes, and these cities in Latin America are very, very small, probably not more than 20 miles across overall, the but entire urban structures. Quite big in terms of population, though. I mean, Bogota must but be very, uh, very congested. A few million people, right? And um, absolutely, a few and, million and, people. Bogota, yeah, eight or and, nine. And and then and then you have, I mean, in places like Brazil, you have several cities that are well, Sao Paulo. Maybe it's like maybe eighteen million or something like that. Uh -huh, Mexico, Mexico, twenty million or maybe more. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, that's uh, right. And, and, and the I was going to say that the the urban sprawl. Uh, situation in Latin America is it's tremendous. There is no uh, urban sprawl in Latin America, mm -hmm. unlike the developed worlds, uh, countries, the developed world in general. So uh, we realized that that was the underlying problem, and that traffic itself is just one symptom among many other symptoms in the uh, different layers in the mobility problem, where we have uh, uh, you know very defectuous um, uh, road systems, we have uh, air quality problems. We have other layers that you do not see in the developed world, such as criminality layers. We have inaccessibility layers. So, so the overall mobility problem in Latin America is tremendous. It's so profound that it impacts socioeconomic development in a very, very clear manner. That is actually one of the bottlenecks for socioeconomic development, the lack of this proper mobility infrastructure. So here we come and we say, listen, we can take this new technology, uh, all these new technologies in advanced air mobility, we can bring that legacy from aviation down to the micro world 
And, and that legacy is the fact that we can generate connections without needing to build anything in between. So we don't need to throw asphalt or dig tunnels or build bridges to connect points and parts of regions and someday connect parts and suburbs and eventually uh, generate connections inside cities, inside existing urban structures. And that's the legacy that we do not have an associated cost per mile, unlike traditional forms of mobility infrastructure. And that's why we see ourselves as a mobility infrastructure company and not an aviation company. Mm -hmm. Advanced air mobility for us is a new form. It provides the potential to build a new form of mobility infrastructure that can target that problem and we can tackle that, that situation of a lack of mobility infrastructure in our countries and regions in Latin America. And we can generate connections and, and provide one solution, not, not the solution, but one solution to, uh, to that problem. And, and uh, in that way, contribute uh, to socioeconomic development of our regions and countries by, by serving different markets uh, and providing transportation services in different markets. So that, that's where the mobility infrastructure uh, uh, subject when you mention infrastructure, in practical terms, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the vertiports? Are we talking about air navigation, about charging stations, about all together, even thinking here about the, the actual operation of the, of the air services? What's, what's the scope of the project yeah. and, and what parts of this value chain Varon is aiming to be involved in? That's, that's the main question, actually. That's a great, great point. So... It, the, the mobility infrastructure that we're developing involves the three components, three main components of the operation. So it's the overall operation, the entire operation, with which we can set out to provide transportation services to both private and public partner uh, customers. So the three components are, number one, our verticals. We are developing and we intend to have our own verticals. Number two, it's our airspace architecture. We are developing the entire concept of operations, and that involves an airspace architecture, which is the equivalent to the train tracks in a metro system. So it's these virtual uh, structures connecting our vertiports through the low altitude airspace over our regions, our suburbs, and someday over our cities. So these structures that are virtual, of course, they are not physical, connecting our vertiports. And number three, it's our uh, fleet of aircraft. Our fleet of aircraft are going to be flying through that airspace architecture. The traffic will be orchestrated with the uh, uh, systems that make up the entire uh, uh, architecture. And with those aircraft, just like any airline, we'll have different types of aircraft, uh, depending on the business model, depending on the location where the operation is happening, and depending on the uh, configuration that is required for the specific market. So it's three components, our vertiports, our airspace architecture, and our fleets of eVTOL aircraft, or electrical vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. That all, those three components in the overall operation, that's what we're calling a new form of mobility infrastructure. In a way, it, it reminds me a little bit like the early, early days of uh, railroads, where you had uh, railroad companies that had, they actually built the tracks and, and, and they they run the trains and yes. they run the stations. Let's say you open up like a network of vertiports. Are you envisaging this to be a sort of like a, a, an exclusive infrastructure or could be later open to other operators? Just saying this because I don't know how big it's going to be. Well, we, we're going to start very small. Yeah. We have, we have a big uh, projection of being, of uh -huh. course, a, a large operator. But uh, of course, our initial business models are in the tourism market. Uh -huh. uh, because we've identified that to be the starting point, the point, the, the you know, the point of entry for mm -hmm. advanced air mobility in general. So these operations are going to be very, very local, very small, uh -huh. and very, very confined. Uh, there's many reasons for that. Also, the safety aspect of it and the regulate regulatory aspect of it. So very small operations. Eventually, we intend to uh, grow, of course. But to answer your question. There's a, there's a radical difference between what is being developed or in general, how technology works in the developed world as compared to how they work in developing countries. So in developing countries, yes, it's the private sector that uh, has the initiative. We have a private initiative and we tend our operations to be completely private. These are small operations, local operations, uh, initially in the tourism market, 
and and they are going to be in their design and that are being developed and implemented as private operations, completely private. So the vertiports will be private. Our our uh, aerospace architecture uh, systems involved there are going to be private. And of course, also the uh, fleets of aircraft are going to be our own as well, all mm -hmm. private. Uh, of course, complying with the new regulations that we are uh, helping to develop by the authorities, uh, civil aviation authorities, the entire operation is going to be private. So we intend to eventually also come up with private operations where we have uh, a broader outreach to, for example, private customers. Like, for example, let's say uh, a logistics company that needs to move cargo between warehouses. We can come to those companies and we're having these conversations, for example, where we can place vertiports in one warehouse and another vertiport at another warehouse and, and assign a fleet of aircraft to move cargo in a continuous conveyor belt system over the low altitude airspace, uh, the low altitude skies for this private customer. Of course, with electric aircraft and all the benefits for the environment and what that means in cash flow for those customers by, by uh, uh, reducing and replacing the carbon footprint uh, with electric vehicles. So so there's there's uh, an aspect of private operations in Baron, yes, mm -hmm. uh, unlike other initiatives that are being carried out in other parts of the world, yes. In terms of aircraft, if I understand correctly, you haven't you haven't selected yet which aircraft are you planning to use. I've seen in your website some mentions to uh, Jaunt, which is is a, an eVTOL developer that uh, we had here on the podcast just a few weeks ago. A, a pretty interesting project because it it combines elements of rotorcraft and fixed wing aircraft, unlike other designs that are out there, and that has. A number of advantages. I mean, I, I invite everyone to go and check <laughs> on the on that episode of the podcast which advantages. But have you selected any aircraft, or is Jaunt actually already selected as as the initial aircraft? Uh, what's the situation? Well, in, in fact, yes. In fact, yes. We we do work with partner OEMs. Uh, we do understand the uh, the growing and available market uh, of uh, EV tall aircraft. And, and we have very, very deep partnerships with several OEMs, including John that you've mentioned, and we've made that public already. So, so yes, we have uh, narrowed down the uh, types of aircraft and the potential providers of those aircraft. Now, just like any airline, as I was saying, we're going to need to have different types of aircraft, depending on three factors that are the main ones. Number one, the uh, market that we're serving, depending on whether it's a uh, logistics customer or if it's a tourism customer, or if it's uh, uh, an eventual air taxi operation, et cetera. Number two, depending on the location, it's not the same to have a tourism operation in Panama City, which is at sea level, than to have the same tourism operation, for example, in Bogota, which is 2,600 meters above sea level. There's technical differences there. And number three, depending on the configuration that we require. So one thing, for example, is to have uh, an air taxi configuration requirement for an X number or, for example, for four passengers, then to have a uh, tourism uh, aircraft that uh, might require just two occupants on board. So the, the configuration, uh, we might think about a logistics aircraft, for example, is going to be completely differently configured than a, uh, a tourism aircraft. So those three factors determine which types of uh, OEMs we're looking at and what types of models. So we do have several that we're partnered with and, and have been for several years and deeply discussing and, and sharing on the operational models and, and so on. So yes, now for the initial operations, you might know already from your previous uh, conversations with uh, other companies that uh, and other OEMs that uh, there's timelines for these aircraft. Yeah. The, the aircraft that are four to five occupants they're going to come later in this decade uh depending on different factors it's there's several years away of being available to us uh and that means not only built and tested but also certified right aircraft in order for aircraft to be uh let's say eligible for an operation anywhere in the civilized world they have to have some type or an equivalent to an airworthiness certification so that, that's the point of entry for, for any given model of aircraft. Now, what we do have right now and what is going to probably come first are the one and two occupant aircraft. Those, those are mostly 
uh, or the ones that we are interested in are the multi-rotor type of uh, aircraft, the powered lift types of aircraft. And, and, and currently these one and two occupant aircraft are going to probably come first with those uh, certifications. And, and that means that we're going to open the door first very, very probably, and we are expecting it to be for the uh, one to two occupant business model. And that's the tourism business model. So we think that those are going to come first, very probably, very, very soon. Obviously, uh, Latin America, is, it's, it's a pretty big region of the world. I don't know if you have already identified specific countries or cities where you want to operate, particularly thinking now, you mentioned earlier the airspace utilization. I, d I don't know what's the situation now in, in the region, uh, if you've been already um, discussing with authorities, uh, with the civil aviation authorities, how this is going to work. And yeah, so basically what points look more promising towards the start of a, of a service and what time frame? you're expecting? So, oh yeah, absolutely. One of our strongest uh, partnerships is with the uh, civil aviation authorities. Uh, we do uh, make, uh, you know, we're involved with the advanced air mobility work groups for NASA uh, and the FAA. Uh, we also share with some other authorities and projects in the world from Australia to different countries in Europe. But uh, one of our main and strongest partnership is definitely with the Colombian civil aviation authority. And we've been sharing with them and discussing about this project for many years. I want to say over 15 years, maybe wow. even 20. Uh, so definitely, yes, this is something that is very strong with the uh, Colombian Civil Aviation Authority. We've been working hand in hand with them. And there's, uh, as of today, a very, very clear path. Uh, we've already started that path formally as well uh, with the authorities in Colombia, where we've uh, laid down the... the uh, uh, the next steps and what comes and what will happen in terms of the new regulations, you know, both the new regulations that we need to create, that the authorities need to create, and we want to contribute to create to allow for these new forms of operations, and also to be able to fit uh, our current operations, our initial operations, into the existing regulations. So, so those two things are, are, you know, happening, and they've been happening for quite some time already, yes. Absolutely. And, and in terms of time, uh, you know, what, what defines, what mostly defines the timeline for us is not the technical aspect that that part, let's say, is, uh, you know, basically ready, uh, just like the business model is, is ready. That's been our focus of work for the past five or six years, coming up with the uh, appropriate and viable business model. Uh, so that's that's sort of uh, done and ready. Right now, it's a, a shared effort between the regulatory aspect, which is currently underway and being worked, as I say, mm -hmm. and the capital raise. We currently have our seed round open. Uh, we've already started receiving uh, investments in, and that's that's great for us because that that's what actually you know frames and, and, and uh, will allow for us to start executing that in those initial implementations, those initial operations. Uh, here in Colombia, in, in the city of Cartagena, which was uh, chosen for uh, the implementation of our initial operations. And uh, hopefully we're expecting that to happen and it's planned for, for 2023. But dependent, of course, on the capital raise mostly and the regulatory work that we're carrying out right now. 2023, that's like next year. Yes. That's yes. pretty soon. And do you expect then to have EV tolls flying by then? Because I, I don't think any of the EV tolls currently under work is, is going to be ready by that early? Or you refer to actually starting to kind of set up the environment or the ecosystem for, for this to happen no, no, at no. a later date? No, no. We have uh, partner OEMs that okay. have aircraft ready that will very, very probably in a very short time have uh, airworthiness certifications. And mm -hmm. those aircraft are already operating. They're already flying. And, and they're available to us. So, yes, we're talking about uh, having our initial operations, our first flights, hopefully in the year 23. Uh, and then the, the Colombian authorities, you're expecting them to have approved that by then, I guess? It, There's it, a difference. So you have to understand, and that's a great point to, to, uh, to have a conversation about. No, because I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure what, I mean, what, what are the tempos? Um, can, can the Colombian authority uh, give approval before FAA or, or do they need to wait for FAA to issue? No, certain... no, no. 
No, no. Remember, these are different countries. They're yeah. autonomous organizations, and there's there's uh, those are different jurisdictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but and Peruvian and the Argentinian, the Panamanian. These are all different countries. Yeah, yeah. I know. Different. I I know. I know. But but also like some authorities normally kind of follow uh, what FAA does. So that's why you know I was I was um, just kind of. Uh, thinking aloud now is like what how is it how does it work over there in colombia i, I don't know i have no idea so that's why you so, know, i was so, curious to know absolutely and I, I think this is a great point of conversation like i said so yes these are all autonomous countries and all these organizations are fully uh self-sufficient uh and autonomous in their decisions but yes many of them do follow uh regulatory bodies like like the faa uh or yasa it depends uh, but definitely that, that, that's true now, what, what has evolved over the years in Colombia is the realization that the problem that we're trying to solve is so organic to countries like Colombia. It is so organic that they have understood that the authorities, the civil aviation authorities, are going to be instrumental in providing this regulatory body for one solution to that problem, as I was explaining. So, yes. They are clear in terms of path for, paths forwards and the steps uh, to follow uh, autonomously to allow for these operations. So as I was saying, there's different steps in those operations. What, I, what we are expecting is to be able to have the first aircraft operating uh, uh, in year 23. Hopefully, that depends on many factors. One factor is capital raise. The other factor is, uh, of course, OEM availability to manufacture and provide the aircraft but as of now that is the plan uh depending on factors like those to have these initial flights in colombia in year 23 we'll, we'll see how those two things develop uh the, especially capital raise in these uh controverted times of course for capital that that's one main bottleneck that we will all have in the world but, but cash is there and, and uh, funds are available and people have shown great interest. And like I said, we already started receiving money in the bank and the investors. And so that's underway right now. And what we can expect is to have initial operations. Now, a different thing is to have commercial operations where we have paying customers uh, flying. So that's a different question. There might be uh, a process that we're expecting to need to walk through with the authorities in Colombia, with our aircraft on operation. And, and who knows, that might take a bit more time to be able to say, uh, to open doors to paying customers to come in and, and, and uh, board our aircraft and, and pay for, for those adventure rides and, and sightseeing flights. So, so I hope that that uh, frames a bit better the, the timelines that we're expecting and what uh, sort of layers yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, you, then the, the, the initial plan is to launch this tourism-related services in, in Cartagena, uh, which I imagine it, it's in and around the city. Um, no, no. no. Well, okay. one, of the, one of the main uh, reasons why tourism is the lowest hanging fruit of all the different markets that we can eventually start servicing is that we can do these operations in unpopulated areas, in okay. rural locations where we can abide with those expected security and safety uh, um, aspects of the regulations that, are, that we're talking about. So, no, they're going to initially be in the outside. We'll be working in rural locations and fields where it's unpopulated. And eventually, as we grow and mature and understand the KPIs and in general mature enough, we'll start coming in, both us and the regulatory bodies, the civil aviation authorities, will start allowing eventually operations in more populated areas like suburbs, and and uh, someday, someday inside cities, we're really far from that. Still, mm -hmm. okay. And then after Cartagena, what's going to be the next growth area? Well, we have at least uh, a dozen locations in Colombia where we can replicate that same business model in tourism, that same uh, operation for you know adventure rides and uh, sightseeing uh, uh, flights. We're talking about natural park visits, islands. We're talking Caribbean blue sea uh, uh, scenarios. So Colombia and in Latin America in general, again, one of the reasons why we've chosen this region is because there's in tourism, there's everything to be done. In tourism, Colombia, for example, has so many locations throughout the entire country 
where we can offer these uh, extremely attractive uh, uh, operations and, and offer offers of these uh, adventure rides and sightseeing flights. So at least a dozen locations throughout the country. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the altitude? Because uh, Colombia is a pretty mountainous country. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You mentioned earlier Bogota is pretty pretty high compared to yeah. to many urban areas. I possibly one of the highest capital cities in the world. Yes. Um, does it affect the performance of EV tolls in some way? Absolutely, absolutely. And anything power lift, uh, when it comes to Bogota, we will lose somewhere around forty percent efficiency in the propellers and motors. So, so by all means, yes, it impacts uh, the their performance big time. That's why I say that part of the types of aircraft, the models uh, that we choose, need to depend or will depend. On the location of the operation, mm -hmm. so uh, yes, uh, there's definite uh, impact on that side. I haven't seen much about these factors in when in the news when you know. Oh yeah, we, we, we take those into account. <laughs> yeah, very, very seriously. <laughs> we've done our our research and we know uh, 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 you know the impact and, and that, that most of the operations today, mm -hmm. given the current state of technology, are operations at sea level for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, well, Cartagena is also, I guess, at sea level or, or close to it. Yes, right? of course. Yeah. At sea level. Mm -hmm. You are a, a, a private startup, right? You mentioned you are uh, raising raising funds now. Yes. Uh, yeah. And have you estimated how much capital is needed to basically to, to become a, a, a regional player that can be active in, in many different locations across Latin America, even Colombia, which is a pretty, pretty big country? Oh, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, I, we've had that question many times before. That, that's estimated. We don't have uh, work to the uh, structure of it yet. But we do know that and estimate that to be somewhere in the uh, few dozen million dollars for, uh, mm -hmm. for that regional operation. And that is part of our plan, our expansion plan to Latin America. We have conversations from Argentina to Peru and Ecuador to uh, other very interesting countries like Panama, Costa Rica, and some others in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. uh, for tourism operations. So it's somewhere in that uh, a few tens or dozens of millions of dollars. So unlike the same question in the developed countries like uh, United States or in Europe, we would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Again, the uh, lower overall cost of operation and implementation in Latin America because of labor costs and so on uh, is uh, another big reason why we've chosen to do this in Latin America and not in other parts of the world. And what's the what's the highest item here in the in terms of capex? Is it the vertiports? Is it the fleets that you plan to operate? Is no, it the... no, it's mostly uh, well. It, it has to do with uh, physical physical assets, of course. Uh, on the capex side, it has to do with um, opex as well. There's an operational expense part mm -hmm. of it that is quite heavy, but it does not involve the aircraft. Eventually, like any airline and everything in aviation, these aircraft are going to need to be acquired by, by a long-term lease or some so, sort of uh, financial vehicles that uh, don't involve CapEx. It's the only way that we can uh, eventually make this mobility infrastructure mm -hmm. OPEX uh, leaned and not CapEx, like traditional forms of mobility infrastructure where you need to throw asphalt and build tracks. That's heavily uh, relying on capital expense. We need, in order to have an impact, uh, our mobility infrastructure to be highly relied on, rely, relying on uh, operational expenses. And, and that means that the aircraft need to be acquired uh, on lease vehicles or, or yeah, something equivalent. And, and in this case, I guess there's an extra element here is that the technology is expected to evolve uh, pretty quickly, I guess, in a matter of years. So I guess like, we can expect that the different generations of EV tolls to be succeeding each other pretty pretty quickly more than commercial aircraft that for the last few decades pretty much have been just incrementally improving, but not like radically changing, right? Yeah, we do expect, uh, we do expect, and we're seeing this, this explosion of uh, OEMs and offers and designs and vehicles. Uh, it's happening and the technologies will probably become quite incumbent, just like drones, just like, you know, the small commercial drones mm -hmm. are, are quite popular and, and, and common today. They did not used to be that way some uh, 15 or 18 years ago. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. We expect this to be the same case in the uh, manned 
uh, aircraft uh, for uh, you know for our industry, mm -hmm. and that is part of the expected the expected massification of of, uh, of uh, urban air mobility and, and and of course regional mobility in general. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Felipe, tell me a little bit about what what's the reception you are getting in the investment community about these plans about uh, creating developing this network of advanced air mobility infrastructure in Latin America. What do people tell you? And I'm just curious about what's the, what's the general investor sentiment towards these type of ideas? Well, I, I can give you just a, a very uh, recent, you know, I can share a very recent experience because we just opened our seed round only just a few months ago. And uh, we've been talking with many, many very interested parties uh, we are mostly interested on angel investors at this moment, uh, the type of people who understand uh, this space. This is something that is not easy to understand for a, for a newcomer. Uh, it's a concept that is currently being developed, mm -hmm. so it is not an operational system just, just yet. So, so uh, we, we are targeting to speak with um, people and angel investors who are uh, at least have some understanding of the technology or the aviation space or transportation or infrastructure in general. So, so in that space, we've had a tremendously positive uh, reception. We are talking with uh, very interesting people and, and that's currently underway. So it's a very recent experience that I can only share. In Colombia, in Latin America in general, where, where are you looking for this funding? Well, we, we are a U.S. company, right? We are incorporated in Delaware. We are a United States company. And as such, we abide by the U.S. Uh, laws and regulations, and 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 that's that was made so uh, so that we could approach, uh, among other things, so that we could approach the U.S. investment community, and we are talking uh, to investors in the United States, European, and and uh, internationally in general. So so uh, the fact that we're implementing Latin America is a different uh, thing. It's because of the uh, opportunity that we see in the market uh, mm -hmm. that is uh, there to develop. Uh, we do have some conversations with Latin American investors as well, of course, but we're mostly interested in the U.S. investment community. Uh huh. And where where do you see in this going later after the tourism market? What other markets do you see promising in Latin America? I mean, we I'm asking this because I know, for example, for for helicopters, some Latin American cities like in Brazil, for example, uh, because of many of the issues that you mentioned earlier, like security. And insufficient infrastructure, traffic jams, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, do you think this could be potentially advanced air mobility could replace uh, helicopters in many of these missions? So, well, the problem is true, but uh, actually, maybe just two cities in Latin America are good markets for uh, helicopters and have developed the helicopter industry, and it's Sao Paulo and Mexico City. Mm -hmm. The rest of Latin America, which that you know shares the, the underlying problems, they're not uh, okay. good markets for helicopters. Uh, they, they're very very niche uh, in Latin America. And uh, the reason some, is that sorry, somehow I I had this idea that Bogota might be uh, also quite a quite a big market, but I maybe no, I'm, I'm no. wrong. No, no, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's hardly uh, no helicopter transportation inside Bogota. Maybe some mm -hmm. very very niche. Operations and it's the same. It's the same for for almost every other city in Latin America. Just Sao Paulo and Mexico City. Uh -huh. And the reason for that is the cost. Simply yeah. the cost. The the helicopter has proven, you know, if you look at it from outside the box, from really really outside the box, you know, the helicopters have proven to be you know great machines. We love them. We're you know we understand them and and we we dream with these uh, these machines. But they've proven, and this is something very unpopular to say, but I think it's true. That they've proven not to be a good solution for humanity's needs. Um, you, uh, you know, humans, uh, humankind, and the actual needs that we have require a more massive, more uh, approachable uh, technology that allows for massification. That's that's where this, these new types of aircraft, the eVTOLs, come in because of the simplification. Something something equivalent to what happens when. When you compare a regular car, an automobile, with an electric automobile, mm -hmm. where you have the removal of many, many systems that make the vehicle simpler, not yet cheaper. We know that, but we're going to eventually get there. It's something very similar. 
what happens with eVTOLs. We're removing in concept a tremendous amount of complexity from helicopters, hydraulic systems, pneumatic systems, mechanical systems, and so on, and converting all those into uh, basically software complexities. These are these are computers taking over the, the flights of these machines. So uh, a human being would probably not be able to pilot these machines, but these multi-rotors are being piloted by computers now. So it's software complexity. Uh, that, that does not necessarily make them cheaper yet, but again, we're going to get there because the uh, the underlying na nature of these aircraft is a simpler nature. All all these aircraft are just electric motors, fixed propellers, and and uh, batteries with computers on board. That that's it. They don't have any of those other complexities of the current fixed wings and especially the rotor wing type of aircraft that are tremendously complex. So we're expecting these aircraft to be more accessible because they're both their uh, manufacturing costs, then their operational costs, and their maintenance costs, uh, the maintenance, repair, and overhaul costs are going to need to be lower. So we're expecting these to be more approachable and the business models to be way, way more massifiable than than those with helicopters. So yes, we're expecting to get there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, don't want to leave your other question, which are the markets. We've identified, uh, Mikael, eight markets that we can service with our mobility infrastructure in place with the same mobility infrastructure. Um, and, and, and they range from, you know, the later ones that are uh, like, like agriculture markets and, and law enforcement and military government markets, uh, and public transport, um, and air taxes, of course, uh, which is probably going to be the last one of all because of the tremendous complexities in, in that. And we can dig into that if you, if you wish. To other more simpler, uh, easier to reach, type of uh, markets like, like the emergency response markets and logistic markets and the lowest hanging fruit of all, which is tourism, the tourism market. So we've identified eight markets where we believe that air tax is the last one of all and tourism mm -hmm. is going to be the first one of all. Mm -hmm. What about the uh, electricity component? What's the landscape for uh, renewable energy generation in, in Latin America? Thinking now about all the environmental footprint, uh, because obviously, EVTOL, as they are electric, they, they are marketed as a greener alternative, but uh, ultimately the electricity has to come from somewhere. I, I don't know what's the, what's the landscape right now and how is the investment shaping renewable energy generation in Colombia and, and in, in Latin America more generally? Well, so, so those of us who are working on new forms of mobility, uh, we, we want to understand the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. We need to look at the bigger picture. And, and the bigger picture is something that in the in the automobile world is called the well-to-wheel effect. So, so it's not just looking at the vehicle itself, the automobile, which is the wheel part of it, but it's looking at the entire uh, uh, the entire chain and that involves where the uh, energy comes from. That's where the well, you know, like an oil well, that's where do we get our fuel and our energy from? So it's the entire landscape. And yes, um, the energy side of it is tremendously important for us. In Baron, we, 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 we have an energy director for that reason. Uh, it's a director who has a, a lot of experience and is really well known in the uh, oil and gas and in the energy regulatory world. So, so it's because there's two aspects that we need to, to tackle. One of them is the acquisition of energy for us. We, we of course, will have highly energy-consuming vehicles that need to be charged. These batteries need to be charged, and these are power-lift aircraft. This means that they're uh, highly inefficient, right? Uh, they don't have wings like, like you know, these airfoils that make flight so efficient because of the nature of the markets that we need to serve we need to have power lift aircraft. So, so that that lack of efficiency in, on the energy side of these power lift aircraft is compensated by the by the value that the entire system brings to our market. So, the question of how to charge or where to charge from, we're gonna where we're gonna get these energy uh, sources from is tremendously important for us. And that's the first aspect. The other one is the carbon footprint. What sort of value we're offering our customers? And countries like Colombia are a tremendously positive environment where to work these two questions. On the first one, the energy source, 
Colombia has advanced a lot in new forms of alternative energy generation. For example, uh, from hydrogen projects down to solar projects that are currently being developed today, and the potential as an equatorial country of having very, very good sources of energy on that on, on those sides. To uh, the um, regulatory uh, developments of how to be able to, to, to tackle the existing grids and uh, profit from having energy assets uh, and self-generating assets on our verticals. So it's a very positive environment on the gener gen generation side. Another aspect is, for example, the hydroelectric aspect of Colombia. It's a very interesting thing. It's about, uh, unlike the United States uh, or countries like Japan, where just a, a very, very few percentage of the energy is produced with hydroelectric, which is considered to be a very clean source of energy. I think it's 3% or something in the United States. I'm not sure, but something on those on that vicinity. Colombia has somewhere around 70% of the energy on its grid produced by hydroelectric. Wow, that's so quite the a entire, lot. Exactly. The entire well-to-wheel aspect of it, the bigger picture, is, is very promising in countries like Colombia. Then we have the other aspect, the carbon footprint, the, the, um, the benefits that we're intending to offer our customers. We need to be able to offer value to our customers. Otherwise, we don't have a viable business model. And part of that value comes from the carbon footprint aspect of, 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 the, of the value chain that we're offering. So it's not just getting there faster. It's not just flying boxes or people faster over traffic. It's about how do we replace trucks with internal combustion engines that produce uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, and, and other pollutants like, like uh, uh, the PM3 and PM4s and so on, PM5 uh, emissions that, that hamper the quality of air in countries like Colombia, for example. I don't know if you're aware, but we had confinements in Colombia in big major cities like Bogota, like Medellin, before the pandemic. The year before, 2019, there were confinements in our cities. The cities were closed because of poor air quality. And about 30% wow. of the emissions come from, uh, from mobility in general. Other mm -hmm. uh, percentages come from industry and so on. So how do we propose to our customers like logistics companies like tourism companies, like like uh, other private and public uh, uh, organizations, that we can replace those vehicles by way faster vehicles mm -hmm. over the year, of course, and electric vehicles at the same time. And how does that uh, new value in the carbon footprint reflect to our customers in cash flow efficiencies and tax reductions? And Colombia again has quite an advanced regulatory aspect on that side as well. So as you can see, the entire environment on the electrical aspect for Varoni is really important. We really pay attention to that. We have an entire branch of our startup dedicated to that uh, aspect. And Colombia is a great environment where to uh, see the effects of that. And, and, and again, that's another reason why we have chosen Colombia. For people that want to learn more about uh, what you guys are working on, uh, maybe investors, maybe people that are interested in, in what's going on in this space in, in the region, for people interested in, in aviation in general, what sort of channels, resources would you suggest? I remember you showed me you've been developing a sort of uh, immersive uh, kind of showroom uh, where you're showing what, you, yes, what yes. you're working on, sort of metaverse type type of thing. I don't know if that's publicly available yet, but I, I know you guys have been working quite a lot on, on showcasing this vision that you have for yeah. for the region. So, um, where can people find out more about this? That, that, that's exactly it. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, tell your audience that everybody, anybody who is interested is welcome to um, to not only visit our, our website, baron.aero. We have everything right there at baron.aero. Uh, you can get in touch with us and uh, you can write us anytime and we share and receive a lot of communications from, from people all the time. Um, we have a lot of content at baron.aero. And what you're talking about is our vision center. We have, uh, yes, uh, in effect, we have developed a an immersive 3D environment that anybody can visit from their computers 
uh, at home. Any everything any that they need is just a, a good computer with good speed and a good speed uh, Wi-Fi communication and or or landline to the internet. And with those two things, you can have a very streamlined experience in our vision center. It's a 3D environment, immersive, where we have showcased uh, the, the latest in our development on the three components that I mentioned earlier, uh, developments on our vertiports. You can visit our vertiports. You can go inside. You can see uh, what we've designed in terms of the, uh, the platforms, the insides, the architecture, et cetera. You can see uh, content about our um, uh, our airspace architecture. You can watch simulations of aircraft flying through our airspace architecture and how we've envisioned the, uh, these these structures to be to, to, to exist in, in the low altitude skies over our regions and our cities someday. You can see a lot about also the uh, our aircraft, our partners. Uh, uh, you mentioned Jaunt. We're very strongly partnered with with Jaunt. You can see the uh, the John journeys there, and uh, you can also uh, watch them live and close by. You can board one of these aircraft uh, in three D, uh, so you can see them close, you know, uh, close by. There's content about our initial operations in Latin America and, and so on. So anybody who wants to uh, visit our vision center is welcome to uh, request that from us. It is not a public link, but anybody uh, can just uh, request that, and we continuously uh, offer links for people to go in and visit our vision center. So thank you for the opportunity there, Mikkel, for us to offer this to your good audience. And any, anybody and everybody is welcome anytime. Well, thank you to you for uh, spending time today, sharing all these insights about this, this very interesting vision that you have for your country and, and for, for your region more generally. So um, yeah, I'll definitely gonna be posting links to your website and and to other things that we have been commenting here today on, on this episode and hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to to see your project being rolled out in the coming months and years uh, 2023 it's just around the corner so <laughs> we'll definitely keep an eye on it and uh, looking forward to to see this this aircraft flying soon in Cartagena well, thank you very much, Miko, for that. And it's, it's been a pleasure to uh, share with you and your audience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Speak soon. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you are using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon. Yeah.